0: And to help us in our journey this evening, we are very honored to welcome back to our show, Father Anne Tropiano, who was ordained in Albuquerque in October 2021 with the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests. Father Anne, welcome back to our show.
1: It's so great to be here. Nice to see you again, Rabbi you Neil.
0: You too. You too. So look, last time you were here, You shared your story of why and how you became ordained as a Roman Catholic priest and the immediate excommunication that followed. And the first question that's been lingering on my mind ever since we spoke is not about the ordination itself, but about the title. Why did you choose the title Father Anne when father is such a clearly masculine gendered term?
1: I would say this is probably the question I get asked most often.
0: Well, I'm pleased to be predictable then. <laughs> um,
1: so I chose Father Anne as my title for a couple reasons. First, in the Catholic tradition, symbol is incredibly important. And one of the most powerful symbols is the priest. So the priest makes present God, God's relationship with Jesus, the communion of saints, all of the people of God. And right now, the Catholic imagination is contracted so that the symbol is only represented by the male form. So one of the most important things that I am doing in my ministry is expanding that symbol to include the body of a woman. So, I go by the title Father Anne. I'm a traditional Roman Catholic priest, meaning I'm celibate, I wear the clerical collar, I use the traditional prayers, I use the Roman Missal, which is basically the book of the Mass that the whole church follows. Um, so that w- that's what I would say is the primary reason. But also, I mean, I will admit it is a little bit mocking the idea that women cannot be priests— while at the same time, it confirms that I am a real Roman Catholic priest. So if I'm in the room with a male priest, there's no difference between us, except for the fact that I am female. That is the only difference, really.
0: So the only difference, personally and theologically, I mean, in terms of the eyes of the church, of course, there's a profound difference, which is that you are Heretic? Uh, excommunicate. I don't know what the phrase would be, what the word would be, but, but in some sense that you would be fake and that they would be real. And what I, I, what I hear from what you're saying is, no, I'm not fake just because you see me as that. Exactly. So I'm, I'm intrigued by, by this notion of what does it mean to, to bring about change in the sense of when you said the Catholic imagination has contracted – How do we bring about change? And you're talking about change from within the terms, the forms, the language that is already used as opposed to introducing new language. Tell tell me a little more about that, because for some people, change is about specifically using different words and saying Mm -hmm. that word doesn't work anymore for us in society. So here's another word. Here's another vocabulary. A good example for me in the Hebrew tradition, the, the word Adonai was very often translated as Lord or my Lord. Um, and so that's why you often see Lord in prayer books. But right. but actually the Hebrew, yud vav Hey does not even say Adonai. It, it says something very different about eternal. So in Reform liturgy, we stopped saying Lord and we started talking of God as eternal. But you've chosen to stay within the the strict parameters of gendered language. So tell me more about what it means to have change from within.
1: It's a great question. And actually, this is some of the tension that exists throughout the Roman Catholic woman priest movement. Everybody is on a basically a spectrum of where they are in relationship to the institutional church. Uh, because, in other words, there is the idea where you don't just add women and stir. That's not <laughs> right. <laughs> That's not going to make the change that we want. Um, so, for me personally, um, I do. I guess I would say I'm a bit strategic about it in that. I do use a lot of the traditional prayers. And where there is space in the masses or in other liturgies, I add in other images, especially female images, images of nature that evoke those other aspects of God that essentially get um, left out. So my perspective is that um, it's not, the problem is not male spirituality or the male gender. It's that it's exclusively male. Mm-hmm. That So I try to bring in, and also just the representation, the way that I maybe preach. I'm bringing in women's issues, which you just really do not hear from the pulpit. Um, some of my volunteer work puts me in places that male clergy don't go, et cetera. So um, I think it's a, I, my approach. Again, there is a vast... Uh, variation of approaches to how to deal with the relationship to the institutional church, and it does actually put me sometimes on the outs, where I am honestly, you know, thought of as buying into the patriarchy. I'm not. Mm. I'm not different enough. So, you know, I get it kind of from the right, and I get it from the the left as well. So all I do really is, um, I am just authentic to my call. And I live that out. And honestly, I do feel that I think it's part of the reason why I am the way I am, because my ministry is to be prophetic to the bishops and the pope. It is to be prophetic to the people of God as well. But ultimately, it is the bishops and the pope who are going to make this change.
0: I'm I'm reminded, and I I know I don't want to talk too much about me, I'm reminded when you're talking about that process of change and adding images. When I was in my previous community in England, and we changed this, was back in 2008, and we changed the prayer book, the Siddur, to um, have instead of gendered language of God as king and lord and master, God as eternal and ruler and sovereign and so on. And I remember the editor of the prayer book coming to our synagogue, which was struggling with, uh, I wasn't, I was perfectly happy with the new Siddur, but many members were struggling. And I remember a member turning to this editor and saying, you are taking God away from me. And he said, how? And she said, God is a man. And and it was fascinating because I was really riled up and I wanted to say, don't be ridiculous, God isn't a man. But what he said was wonderful and, and it echoes what you've just said, which was he said, If for you God is male, then when you read the word eternal, that still reads as male. But for someone else for whom God is not male, then eternal at least allows you to move away from that male image. So it sounds like you're starting on that process of saying it doesn't have to just be male terminology. It can also be other because it's because all names of God are metaphor.
1: Exactly.
0: Therefore, how about other metaphors?
1: Yes, and and I've found too that. Different things work for different people, and so some of this might be also my own personal piety. For example, the opening of the Mass is in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And some of the uh, reform movement changes it to creator, redeemer, sustainer.
0: That's interesting.
1: So some people love the high majesty of it. For me, I don't like reducing... God to what God does versus some kind of relational. So some people mm-hmm. say, mother, Son, Holy Spirit., uh, you know, there's all kinds of ways, but I, it, there there is what you're pointing out, I see similarities. people, it's a relationship with God. And but, language helps build that. So this person that you're referring to, She was having a difficult time, um, she didn't want the language to obstruct her relationship. So it sounds like you made this opening so that more people could build the relationship because God the Father can be very much an obstacle to people who have had difficult relationships with fathers, um, you know, or just women just want to be connected to Divine feminine.
0: See, it's it's interesting though when you said creator, sustainer, redeemer, was that right?
1: Yeah.
0: I I think that's that's really interesting. But you said you don't want to reduce God to who God is. But who, g-
1: what God does. What God
0: does, sorry. Yes. But 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 aren't all of those terms relational in the sense the God who creates me, the God who sustains me. So so it could be, yes. Even even father son is is also who they are and what they do in some sense. It's, it's a in really interesting dynamic of language here, isn't it?
1: It, it is. Um, and I think the more we create the space for people to encounter, that's really what matters. At the same time, um, moving, I guess, from my what I'm trying to do, it can be a lot for a person to just encounter a female priest and so, to have utterly, completely different language, people right. can't tell where they are in the mass. Or, and for some, they love it. But I'm finding in my personal ministry that people do actually love the tradition. They want the inclusivity, and that does tie very directly to language, 100%. Um, and who knows? Like, so maybe I'll change a lot as I go forward in my ministry. You know, this is where I am right now, and.
0: You've shared something which, which is really interesting for me to reflect on because I am used to female rabbis. And so, so in some sense, when I'm talking to you, I, I see you as, of course, uh, of course, you would be here. And of course, you'd be you doing what you do. But you're talking about a community which is not used to this. So therefore, just you yourself are the act of change. So if you change all the liturgy as well, that could be too much.
1: Maybe, and people have challenged me on that, where they have felt that um, they think that the Catholic Church, I mean at least in the United States, is ready for all different language and I, I don't know I don 't know if that's necessarily true, but for me, one of the things I'll do immediately is after the opening rite of Father Son, Holy Spirit, in the welcome i 'll right away uh, invoke God the Mother, so it 's an immediate balance because that part is unscripted in the Mass. So wherever it's unscripted, I'll be bringing in, you know, Mother Nature and those kinds of things. So, um, yeah.
0: Where are you doing this when you say because if you've been Mm excommunicated and you're talking about all these services which sound fascinating, but where? Because it can't be in an official church, I assume.
1: Correct. So right now, um, I have received Amazing ecumenical support in Albuquerque, just some of the most fantastic clergy who stand with in solidarity with women being ordained in the Roman Catholic Church. So right now I am uh, renting a space from St. Paul Lutheran. I only offer mass once a month right now. Uh, I was doing it a little more frequently, and I'm also working on um, creating an adoration of the Blessed Sacrament, which is another kind of a liturgy, once a month. And that came about very interestingly. So there was somebody in the LGBTQ community who couldn't find a safe place. The Mm -hmm. Episcopalian Church, I guess, maybe doesn't really do it, and um, he couldn't find a place that was inclusive, And so, this person approached me to start offering this really traditional Roman Catholic service. So, that leads me to reach out ecumenically to try to find these spaces. Um, So, a lot of it's growing and in process. You know, like you mentioned at the top of the show, I've only been ordained, I think, for six months now, maybe seven. Uh, So, planting the seeds and Really, responding to people are starting to learn about me, mm-hmm. so they're coming with their needs, and me doing my best to respond to those needs and to find the spaces. And there's a lot of support in the ecumenical community.
0: And there's a BBC documentary coming up about you, so a lot of people are going to be learning about you, right?
1: They are. I'm. Um, thank you to Women's Ordination Conference, which is the seat of this uh, the Women's Ordination Movement in the United States. They connected me with the BBC. It's a 30-minute documentary. I think it features three women's stories. It's a global piece. So me in the United States, someone else in Colombia, and I think someone else in South Africa. Um, It's going to go out to 300 million people worldwide. So I'm trying to prepare interiorly. I'm not, you know, nothing could happen or everything could (laughs) happen.
0: My suspicion is the latter, I think. (laughs) We're going to need to take a break. But after we come back, I I want to... I want to explore particularly. You mentioned something about you being a female clergy can go to spaces where men can't, and I really want to focus on that. So, you're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil from Temple Beth Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Father Antropiano, uh, ordained um, priest through the Roman Catholic women priests, and we'll be back after this break. You're listening to Soul Searching on KSFR with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Best Shalom in Santa Fe. My guest this evening, Father Antropiano, who was ordained in Albuquerque in October 2021 with the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests. And we've been talking about change and language, and but you mentioned something earlier which was I, I think really important about you being a female clergy have access to spaces that male clergy don't. And I think that's really important. And I wonder if you can talk a little more about that, about some of the examples maybe of of some of the work that you've been doing that are specifically because you're a female priest.
1: One thing I would mention right away is a woman that I ministered to, I offered the sacrament of reconciliation. So confession. Now, a lot of women are very turned off about the idea of going to a a man, essentially, and confessing their deepest, most intimate, what they consider sins. It doesn't feel like a safe space, especially in the wake of the sexual abuse crisis. And this woman said, it really touched me. She said, until you offered me the sacrament of reconciliation, I didn't really know what I was missing. Hmm. So that would be one example, sacramental safe spaces. Another example is I've recently started volunteering with um, Street Safe New Mexico, which is a very small guerrilla nonprofit. It's all volunteer run and it's all women who do outreach to women who are trafficked or for some other reason they're forced to sell sex to survive. So, I mean, you can imagine what these women go through. I mean,
0: honestly, I'm not sure I can.
1: Yeah, I, they are raped. Physically assaulted, um, terrorized, they're robbed often. Uh, men will watch them, and then when they are finished on their dates, men will steal their money. I mean, so it's it's rough. A lot of the women are traumatized, and I realized that I can, as a female Roman Catholic priest, I can be present to them and. This is a very new ministry for me, so I have a lot to learn about what that means, how to really be present to them. But just the fact that I am a woman who is a clergy member of the Catholic Church, there's a lot of Catholics in New Mexico, I, I, I feel God working through me telling these women, the Catholic Church sees you, your life is sacred, God loves you. And I don't have to say a word. I don't proselytize or even say, God bless you. If they want to come up to me for counsel, they can. Otherwise, I'm handing them condoms and tampons or underwear or whatever thing it is that they need. The other thing is, as a female Roman Catholic priest, I tell the Catholic Church, this is where we need to be. Mm -hmm. These women and girls are a priority, and you are not able to come as clergy to the space without – women being present. So I will say the Catholic Church is present in different ways where there are lay people who are doing this work and reaching out. Um, but the symbolic power is not present.
0: I'm so, I'm so moved by, by what you're sharing here, and I'm challenged a little. And the reason I'm challenged, I guess, is when you said that phrase, the Catholic Church sees you. Because the Catholic Church doesn't see you, Father Anne. So what does that mean for you to be speaking to these vulnerable women and reaching out from a clergy perspective to say the Catholic Church sees you when it doesn't actually see you as clergy?
1: That is a great question. So what I've noticed in my ministry, with these women I don't have enough experience to say, but when people see me, what they see It's not that the Catholic Church doesn't see me, but what they see is me, like, pulling the future into the present, and that really it's happening in only a matter of time. So there's—frankly, I mean, there's just a lot of inspiration there. So with these women, I think and what I hope is that they see that a woman who is claiming her authority from God on their behalf— I hope that that is what they see. Um, yeah.
0: So you're acting as an empowerer for them, as a role model for them, as a support for them, just by being you, essentially, within this, within this role.
1: Yeah. And I don't know if I'm really a role model so much as I'm, I am not only advocating on my behalf at, at the church level— I'm advocating on their behalf also, so that they become seen. And ultimately, I honestly, in my ministry, I hope, I mean, I'm not going to be dismissed. So they will see me. Do you honestly
0: not think you're a role model?
1: Oh, I don't know. I mean. <laughs> really? I
0: I think, I mean, the the the, the, the vision that you have, the, the action, the way that you're living your life. I mean, the fact, how did you say that? It's only a matter of time. You know, there's, there's the fact that you see yourself as being prophetic to bishops and to the pope. I mean, isn't that the fact that you're, that you're present and people are coming to you and saying, I didn't know that I needed this until I saw you. I mean, that, that by its very nature is a role model, isn't it?
1: Well, what I would say is people, it has nothing to do with me personally. What they are sensing is God at work. And that, I am just like the channel that God is using to touch people. So I feel that it's my personal responsibility to basically be obedient and to maintain my prayer life. That Those are the main things, but it really doesn't have to do with me personally.
0: You're infinitely more humble than I am. <laughs> I I, I'm, we've We've only got about five minutes left. What does it mean when you said to be obedient and maintain your prayer life I, I again I'm projecting onto you. Does your prayer life express frustration? does it express you know um a desire to change does it express hope and what does it mean to be obedient i'm 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 fascinated by this
1: well i pr- in my prayer life I express all of the above okay <laughs> So I I I mean I have an intimate relationship with God. So we spend a lot of time together. I spend a lot of time communicating where I'm at, and God spends a lot of time communicating back. And um, through that process, I mean this has a lot to do with my Ignatian spirituality, which is, you know, properly ordering my desires to fit what God is asking of me. So so. Uh, my deepest desire is to be in communion with God. That's the deepest desire. So that always will come first. So if God is asking me to do something, like, for example, get ordained in the Roman Catholic Church, even though it goes against church teaching, even though that will bring me punishment, I will be obedient to do that because I trust that that is what that is what ultimately is going to lead me into deeper communion with God. Um, So yes, I get frustrated, of course, with all sorts of things, but ultimately it's about being able to share in that friendship, companionship, and then, um, you know, relenting because I just trust that God is going to lead me. God will only lead us to what is good. That is God. So God's not going to, even though I might have to personally sacrifice, and that is, you know, Jesus obviously embodies that, that the power of the resurrection, it requires the obedience of us as people in order for God to bring about God's vision of salvation and peace and mercy and companionship and you know, compassion.
0: There's a lot of biblical prophets who say exactly what you've just said about that desire to be connecting with God no matter what the punishment is. And just shank that as an observation, as a, a friendly observation of the of the extraordinary language that you're using and the role modelling that you're doing. I, I guess we've only got a few minutes left. You've been a priest for over six months. What have you learned from this?
1: So much, Rabbi.
0: <laughs> In three minutes,
1: <laughs> um, I think I touched a little on this. I. I think I had expectations that maybe the progr- the very far left was really going to be em- I, I would be embraced, and I've learned that well maybe not so much. Father Anne, you know, wearing the clerical collar and being traditional. So um, sometimes I I feel alone, um, and and I'm sort of a niche within a niche movement. I guess there are other women who wear the collar but are married and have kids, and it's just a little. Um, there's just a lot of discovery around that. Like, oh, I see, I'm going to catch it from both sides and the interior resources that takes. Um, I've also learned what it is really to be happy. I've just never been so happy in my life. I've been in a lot of turmoil for the last couple decades, um, trying to figure out what was going on with my call and really grappling with the limitations of the teachings of the church. And, and fu- I mean, I'm just doing what I meant, what I was put on this earth to do, and I'm using all of my skills, and I don't have to hide myself, and I'm growing and growing, and that, I'm just so thrilled to be alive. I mean, every morning I wake up just so thrilled to be alive. And I've also learned, I think I mentioned too, that people in the Roman Catholic tradition, they want the Roman Catholic tradition. Right. They want inclusivity, but they do want the tradition. And I just have to wonder about, you know, what would happen if the church, you know, welcomed women, married priests, and overhauled the sexuality teachings to, you know, welcome the LGBTQ community. I mean, the life that, the life force, you know, I, I just, the Holy Spirit would just rush into the church, I think, and— um yeah i just am I just am faithful to that vision that God has of everybody being celebrated for who they are right
0: right as a as a child of God yes as being made in god's image yes yeah i when you say you're thrilled to be alive i'm thrilled to be in your presence genuinely, and I know there are people who listened to our first conversation who were thrilled to learn about you. Um, I'm very much looking forward to this BBC documentary uh, about you. I, I hope that it gives you the coverage you so well deserve. Um, it's it's always a pleasure um, to be.
1: Thank in your you, company. Rabbi Neil. Such um, an honour.
0: So thank you to Father Anne Tropiano, um, who was ordained with the Association of Roman Catholic Women Priests. Um, it's been wonderful having you on our show. Please consider yourself a friend of our show. I'd love to have you back again. Absolutely. And to keep talking theology, gender, inclusivity, all these kind of things, and particularly tradition and change uh, and how we balance the two. Thank you for being on our show this
1: evening. Thank you for having me.
0: You've been listening to Soul Searching with Rabbi Neil Amswich from Temple Beth Shalom and from the Interfaith Leadership Alliance of Santa Fe. Until we return again in two weeks' time, keep searching.